was a beautiful selection of the music, Blessed the life that is given to God, and thy will alone, thy will be done. And that very much sums up Swamiji's life. We've given out cards to many of you that gives a quote from Swamiji that says, I've had two desires in life. The first is to know God, and the other is to share him with all. And that has formed the absolute core. Swamiji's accomplishments in this life are staggering, amazing. But it's not the accomplishments alone that make his life so remarkable. He, as you know, have has written 150 books and composed 450 pieces of music, some of which we just heard. Beautiful, beautiful music, enlightening books. He started nine different communities. But these alone are not the essence of his life. Others have written many books, perhaps more books. Others have written more music than that. Others have, well, maybe nobody else has started nine communities. <laughs> but others have done the outward accomplishments in different ways. Now, whether those have all been combined in one person is another question. But the main point here is that those outward activities alone are not what made the essence of Swamiji's life. It's that he had the deep, deep desire to know God and the deep desire to share God with everyone. That's why we're all gathered here. The thrust of his life from being a young boy and especially as he came into adolescence and young manhood was a deep, deep search for truth. But he couldn't find that. He couldn't find it outwardly. He couldn't find it in science. He couldn't find it in the arts. He couldn't find it in literature. He couldn't find it even in religion until that search for truth had blossomed fully in him to the point where he was drawn magnetically to meet Yogananda. And with that meeting, his life was infused not only with grace, not only with blessings, but also with a purpose, also with the understanding of the fulfillment of these deep, deep desires in him. And so, <clears throat> first, the search for truth was there. Then that became the search for God. Then it became the guru-disciple relationship. And that relationship was the formative core of Swamiji's life and existence. Everything he did from the time that he met Yogananda, was done in a deep, deep attempt to attune his life 
to God, but God as given to him by the example and the blessing of Yogananda. And it was from that that everything else flowed. From that all the books flowed. From that all the thousands and thousands of lectures and public events flowed. From that the music and the communities and now the movies that will be coming out. But all of it comes to that core of the deep desire to know God. And then once that desire has achieved a particular focalization, then the complete desire, thy will, thy will alone be done. And that was the expression of his life. The other part was that he had wanted to share. He said, I was always enthusiastic about everything. I would go down the streets singing in a loud voice because I was so enthusiastic. He had great, great enthusiasm about everything that he did. And once he had a clear purpose and a clear channel uh, for the focus of his life, then his natural enthusiasm meant that he was going to share that with all. And it was that sharing that had such an impact on the world through his life. That sharing is the hunger of the soul, first of all, for truth and to know God. That hunger resides in everyone. As Yogananda taught, everyone in the world is seeking the same goal, to be happy and to avoid pain. Well, ultimately, when we've tried various avenues of happiness, we find that the real happiness comes in the search for God, in knowing God, and in sharing him. And so once that point came in Swamiji's life, then what we could call his world mission really began. And it is a world mission. Ananda, through Swamiji, now has followers, in a sense, in all over the world, in hundreds of countries. A couple of years ago, we did a survey, and our website reaches, reached people in 202 different countries. I didn't know there were that many. But... So when I mean that Swamiji has had a global impact, he truly has had a global impact. And so that desire to share with others, coupled with his native enthusiasm, is what has awakened in all of us who know him, who love him, who were his spiritual children, it has awakened in us those same two desires. And so Swamiji's legacy with those as the core central points will continue on into the centuries ahead of us. It was a remarkable life, a blessed life, 
and one that personally and speaking on behalf of thousands of voices that are not able to come to speak in front of us. I thank him deeply for his impact. I thank him deeply for his friendship, for his love, and I thank him most of all for awakening in me and so many the desire to know God and to share him with all. Padma, Nayaswami Padmap now, who with her husband, Riman, are spiritual directors of our work in Ananda, Seattle. Good morning, everyone, and happy birthday. I can recall now a number of times, at least several times through the years, when we would celebrate Swamiji's birthday and make him work, He would give the morning talk, and then in the afternoon while he was resting, we would have a little panel much like today, and we would talk about his life and his teachings. And then this happened several times, so I finally perked my ears and listened more closely. We would be having tea with him later that afternoon. And he would say, I hope you didn't speak too personally. And in reflecting on that, the way at least I interpret personally is when we're relating to the ego, to the personality, to the fact that he liked hot chocolate and mangoes. And this, of course the impersonal aspect is not at all cold or aloof. The impersonal aspect means relating from soul to soul, which is what he has taught us by his own example through the many years. Just last March, uh, we were in India. We brought a group there, and we were in Pune, and having dinner with him one night, and around the table, Narayani and Sherja were there as well, and um, I shared with them a story I've shared with some of you, but this time Swamiji was sitting there while I was telling it. And it's about the time, years ago, maybe 15 or so years ago, that he was doing programs in Rhode Island, And some of us were there, and we had a meal with him. We were in a restaurant. And Swamiji always has had the -the state-of-the-art hearing equipment because he struggled so with his hearing. And so at that point in time, he had one of those little wands, you know, that he could put on the table and point it in the direction of the person speaking, and then he could hear them better. And then at a certain point, I see some smiles of people who were at that table. At a certain point, he got up and excused himself to go to the restroom. And none of us noticed that the little wand was still on the table. (laughs) 
and we let our hair down. I don't remember exactly what it was. It was some other groundbreaking new project that he'd begun that we would never recite all the problems of in his presence. But we had no trouble discussing with one another. (laughs) And at that point, or I should say at a certain point, maybe five or ten minutes later, he came back to the table and he finished the last sentence of the last person speaking. (laughs) And of course, I've often shared that story with the point to us that God is always listening. (laughs) We cannot hide. And yet, in... And I should say that when I shared it in front of him, that story just last March, he had a little twinkle in his eye. (laughs) But upon reflection now with his passing, I realize Swami's always listening. Without this body, he's in spirit, and he's in our hearts, and he's with us all the time. So as Yogananda would say, behave accordingly. In fact, Yogananda used to call this little dynamic (laughs) walkie-talkie. I will do walkie-talkie with you. Many of you have probably received the email from Shurjo and Narayani where they visited Lourdes recently as a completion of Swami's wish to go to Lourdes. His plans had been to go and they went on his behalf and that they they were in a little shop and looking around, and they heard his music. First they thought they were hearing angels or something. that couldn't be, and yet they looked around for it, and it turned out to be a DVD of an animated version of St. Bernadette's life. And they were playing Swamiji's music as part of that DVD. He has amazing ways of playing walkie-talkie <laughs> with us. I think that's a fabulous example of us, of it, that spirit of his that is still with us. Through the years, he would talk about attunement with God and attunement with the Guru. And he would say, that he would ask himself this question in any circumstance and any decision, what would Master do? And in his legacy and testament, he covered this point. And if you read it, you'll see he covered only the essence. And he covered this point and said, in our context, we ask ourselves, what would Master do? And we also ask ourselves, what would Swamiji do? Because we've had so many years of his example in all of this. But in order to tune into what he would do, and I should say also that in the last many years of his life, he said to us, you know, I no longer need to ask what would Master do. I just know. He had absorbed into his very atoms, as Sri Yukteswar described, the living presence of his guru and his teaching. 
And so we have to tune into him, but what if you're brand new and you don't know what Swami would do? Well, he gave us, as Chotish described, his creative deeds, those 150 books. I've always loved math, and it helps me to sort of uh, get a handle on it. He wrote probably less than a handful in the first 50 years of his life. All of the rest in those last 36 years, that means almost five books a year. I know there was one year when I was coordinating the publishing when he published 10 books that year, and they weren't Little Secrets books. They were real books. <laughs> you know, I, having lived a little bit in the publishing world, most authors take a year or two or five or some a lifetime to write one book. But he would say, I couldn't do that. I was able to do it because I didn't do it. God was the doer, and he did it in the consciousness of God being the doer. And so if you tune in and try to absorb all that he's offered through those books, 150 books, if you read one a month, it would take you more than 12 years without a break to read them all. And then most of us don't read them once. (laughs) So there you go, a lifetime. Or that music, over 400, 450 pieces, five minutes each, 33 solid hours without a break of music with not one piece repeating itself, all unique and all inspired thousands upon thousands of audios and videos that we can watch and attune ourselves to his vibration. That's not lifetimes, that's eternity. (laughs) We could absorb these teachings in the way, in the same way. Master, unfortunately, didn't write as much, but what he wrote Many of us have re- reread the autobiography 20 more or more times because we understand that each time we absorb a little bit more that vibration, that consciousness, and that understanding that we can then bring in to the experiences in our lives. And thousands upon thousands of people, of souls, most importantly, who have changed their lives away from the material madness in the world to an inner life with God. You know, I can tell you from being in a colony and serving there how difficult it is for people to establish a real meditation practice in their lives, to make God contact and to maintain it and keep it going in their lives. It's miraculous, really, how through his, his works and his vibration and presence, he's been able to help thousands upon thousands of people change their lives. And those living in community leave their jobs, leave their homes, sell their homes, 
and come and dedicate living their lives for God. That's an enormous feat. And it happened around him. He wasn't just going around trying to achieve anything. It just naturally exuded from him. He taught us, as he says in his legacy, that people are more important than things. He taught us, as he says in his legacy, that right action will bring victory. As it says in the Bhagavad Gita, Dharma, and as John so eloquently spoke about yesterday, he taught us that for every problem, there is a solution. He taught us how to break out of our comfort zones. You know? I was in India in March, as I said, and Diana was sharing that Swamiji had been planning his next visit to India and visiting many cities again at age 87, some brand new cities that he'd never been to before, always breaking new ground, helping us get out of our comfort zones. I remember once being with him at an ABA, which now is called a BEA. It's the annual publishing trade. He used to go to those with us when he was writing a lot and when he was younger. And um, we generally, the few of us on staff, were sort of, you know, shy yogis. And he would be there in the stand. I remember about 25 years ago, Walkmans were first coming out, you know, with the little head things, the little, uh, what do you call it? Yeah. And um, we would be standing in that comfort zone towards the back of the stand, and he would be right out there in the aisle. And somebody, people would walk by, and he would just step out, and he'd say, do you mind? But at the same time, he'd be putting it on their head. And his music would be playing, and of course they enjoyed it, you know, they were charmed by this gentleman doing that and by listening to that music, and then he would bring them inside the stand, and he would talk about his music, and they would order CDs, and then he'd turn them over to me to show the books, and they'd end up placing big orders, and at one point I remember looking over because I heard something, I was busy with a customer, and I look over, and he's singing one of his songs <laughs> to one of the the buyers from a bookstore. <laughs> they're sitting on the two chairs together, and he's singing to her, and there are tears streaming down her cheek of joy. It was so beautiful, that Walter's voice, you know, that he was so famous for with such resonance. He got us out of our comfort zone. He showed us, as Jatish said, with that enthusiasm, how to share, how to give, how to innocently, joyfully just offer these things to people. And then not only that, but he gave us the tools which he received from his guru, how to share those. He gave us the tools for knowing, being able to recognize the problem and reaching for the solution. Concrete tools. 
He gave us the tools to know, not only know that we can find God in this lifetime, but how to do it with the techniques that we can practice and how to draw upon that grace to bring that experience of cosmic consciousness in this lifetime, nothing less, to reach for it and to concretely have ways to draw upon it and bring that consciousness into our lives. And I would say, and this theme continues on from what Jyotish said and how Swami has lived his life, that perhaps the greatest birthday gift we can give him is to use these gifts, these tools, these techniques, practice them, and then share them with all who have ears to hear in his Guru's name. I'd like to invite Nayaswami Asha up now to share. She and her husband, Nayaswami David, are the spiritual directors of our work in Palo Alto. I was remembering a very odd detail of Swamiji's life, but so often there's so much truth in small details. Um, whenever we would go out, he would always dress very nicely. Of course, you know, we all dress pretty terribly now. It's the style of the times. And I used to put it up to the fact that he was of another generation, that he'd been raised in Europe, that he just had a slightly different aesthetic and sense of social reality than some of us young Californians had. But going out with him in many, many different circumstances over the years in many different countries... I realized that his motivation was really entirely different than that. I don't think Swamiji ever forgot that he was the representative of a great guru and of a great teaching. I don't think there was any time in his life when he thought of himself as only himself. And as a representative of Master, he felt he owed it to the dignity of that lineage and the power of that teaching to represent it appropriately. And part of that that I watched in him, which is for us all an example, is that he had so much faith in Master's teachings and so much faith in his responsibility as a disciple that he never hesitated to seize the slightest opportunity to help someone. Padma tells the story, and it makes us smile, of him sitting in the booth and singing a song. But that was not because of any thought on his part, oh, I have a song that I can sing and I have a nice voice. It was undoubtedly from looking into the eyes of whoever was in front of him and thinking, what would Master want to give to this person? How would he want to play walkie-talkie, if you want to think like that, with Swamiji as the speaker? And that soul's heart is the receiving station. I was contemplating the fact, just the tiny detail of Swamiji's last half hour on this planet. Swamiji checked his emails, and then he sat at the dining room table, and Jaidara was about to make him breakfast. 
And you think, well, he checked his emails. You know, what was he doing? But Swamiji checked his emails whenever he was awake. He checked his emails at two in the morning if he happened to get up, at just first when he got up in the early morning. And it wasn't because he was restless or anxious to see what was on CNN. He never even knew how to do that sort of thing. It was because his books are in 30-plus languages in over 100 countries. And that means that at every hour of every day, somebody somewhere is discovering Master's teachings through his expression of it. And many, many, many of those people are reaching out to him. And he was always looking to see, who can I help? Who is asking me for help and how can I respond to him? Those of us who sometimes were in connection with, uh, connection with him on email, you'd look at the times of when his emails would come, or you'd wake up in the middle of the night and look at your emails just in case he was writing to you, and you'd realize it was 2 in the morning, 3 in the morning, 12 at night. And many people have told me about correspondences they had with him. One woman said he would chat with me often on email. You know, someone that I didn't even know he knew. You know, there was a life being lived that was so uh, far beyond the obvious. And there's two realities to that. One of, uh, one of it is to help us understand the consciousness that we have been in contact with. But the other, of course, is the enduring legacy. And that which I do, ye shall do, and greater things. How many times did he sit and tell us stories when he was giving a satsang? Well, let me tell you what I did this week. You know, that was the week when he wrote four books during that week or that month. And then I wrote these songs. And then, of course, I had to have an operation. So that took me out for a couple of days. But <laughs> as soon as the anesthesia wore off, I was doing this. And, and people who didn't understand sometimes would just be bewildered. You really didn't quite know what to do with it. But as each of us matures spiritually and steps out a little bit from merely receiving and has the opportunity to give a little bit, you realize what he was telling us was he was just giving us our, our, our map. That's all. He was trying to say to us, you think this is remarkable. You think this is unusual. You think this is unique. No such luck. Not at all. This is what happens when you give your life to God. And above all, this is what happens when you really want to help other people. When you really decide to help other people, then God lets you do that. On many different occasions, especially toward the end of Swamiji's life, he would talk about the fact that Master had promised him that he would finish all his karma in this life, that there would no, be no compulsion to reincarnate. There was really no compulsion to incarnate this time. When he was talking about that to me once, he said something like, you know, I don't ever want to come back. And then he sort of ruefully said, except to help all of you. I said, well, that's the only time you came, that's the only reason you came this time, isn't it, sir? Well, yes, he said, just like that. And then once when he was saying he never wants to come back again, and then again, he looked sort of rueful and he said, but I know myself. He said, I know what's going to happen, is that I'll feel the call. And many people have told me and have talked to each other 
about how omnipresent Swamiji's spirit is since he left that body. I had a, a picture that came to me when I prayed to Swamiji because it's, it would be insincere to say, speaking just for myself, and I think I'm not the only one saying this, it's been a lot of fun sharing this planet with him. And he's been the sort of bubble of joy that rolls in every once in a while and kind of picks up everything. And the thought that he won't be rolling in in the same way is not so easy to contemplate. I mean, in my own life where there's been perhaps more contact, there's so many different things. Oh, the flowers are just blooming and Swami will be here. Oh, not this time. Oh, this is such a nice recipe. When Swami comes, I'll... Oh, not this time. So you have to keep picking that up again. And I, I was asking Swamiji in meditation, let me feel it from your side and not just from mine. And I had this image that came to me. It was just the enormity of the depth of the ocean and how it spans so far in all directions and how there's a little wave at the top. And, of course, when you're on the surface of the ocean, what you see is the wave. And there's a kind of theory about the rest of the ocean. But what you know about is the wave. And the story that those who were there told about Swami's last few minutes and just how he was there, and then his heart stopped and his breathing stopped, and he wasn't. And for all of those in the room and for all of us here now, the, the dissolution of that wave back into the ocean was an enormous event. But for him, it was just the dissolution of that little wave. I think for, really for all of this incarnation, as he put it himself, I never identified with Swami Kriyananda. He was always an event for which I was responsible. And the responsibility for that event just faded away but so little actually changed. From our point of view, a great deal. And that's what I was asking of him. Please help me, sir, because I don't want to see this just from my point of view. I want to really, I want to be worthy of all the grace that you have given us. And to be worthy of that grace is to be all levels at the same time, but above all to be in that great ocean of spirit. I had a dream the other night which I would like to think was a true visitation, but even if it was only a memory, it was really absolutely wonderful. I was sitting with Lakshman and Swamiji was speaking. Now, of course, Lakshman has worked on Swami's books for years, and he has a very fine sense of grammar and word structure and so on, and sometimes Lakshman and I would exchange emails, can you think of a better way to fix this sentence that Swamiji has written? And it was sort of part of our reality, and Swami has endlessly corrected my misuse of I and me, always. We were even on this big, like, national radio program together. (laughs) And I was telling a story at the request of the announcer, and I said I and me incorrectly, and Swami cuts in and corrected me. (laughs) And he and I are suddenly just laughing and laughing. The poor radio announcer, and who knows the audience, they probably had no idea I said to the announcer, for 40 years he's been doing this to me. <laughs> well, so Lakshman and I in this dream are sitting there, and Lakshman leans over and he says, there's a grammatical mistake on Swami's face. 
between his sideburn and his lip, he has put a period, and I don't think the period is correct. (laughs) Dreams are so ridiculous. (laughs) So I, not wanting Swami to embarrass himself in front of all these people by wearing this grammatical mistake, (laughs) I stood up and I looked at his face, and I looked really carefully, and then I said to Lakshman, no, Lakshman, it's not a period, it's a dash. <laughs> and that's correct. <laughs> then in the dream, Swami looked at me, and that moment came, which I know all of us have experienced, whether it's in a public lecture, on a video, a P.G. Woodhouse story, a private moment, where all of a sudden you're just doing something and someone says something witty or a sense of the absurd. In the middle of the lawsuit, at the worst moments, this would come. And suddenly the divine joy just breaks through. Whatever has caused that little bubble of joy to break through, it just breaks through and everything goes away. And in that dream, Swamiji began to laugh, and I began to laugh, and Lakshman began to laugh, and then that, the laughter woke me up. But it was just that reality. And that's what makes it all possible. You know, uh, this world is difficult without that. Many years ago, when I asked Swami the question, which has now become well known, Sir, what is Ananda's mission? His answer was to have fun, which caused everyone to laugh because we were pretty important. (laughs) Ah, he said, but you have to understand what I mean by fun. Having fun is feeling God's presence in your heart and then sharing what you feel with everyone. And he never made that a somber task. It was a serious task. He took it very seriously. He never rested. I I dare say, and I can't verify, but I dare say he never let a day pass without doing creative, serviceful work for someone somewhere. In one way or another, he lived to serve. No matter how debilitated, no matter how busy, didn't make any difference, he lived to serve. I was uh, in the meditation here at the Dome where his the casket is laid out and his presence is so strong. Savitri had the divine inspiration to read the poem Samadhi, Master's poem about cosmic consciousness. And there were two lines in it that struck me that seemed so powerful. The sea exists without the wave, but the wave breathes not without the sea. First I thought, what a perfect picture of Swamiji's own life. That which I do is effortless, really. When I was struggling to write once, he said to me, I've never had writer's, br- writer's block, just like that. I've never had writer's block. Oh, well, I have. <laughs> <laughs> but he said that on purpose. Why would you have writer's block? You know? Be the, don't be the wave. Just be the wave and the sea. That was what he was telling us. That's why it could all just flow through him so easily. We saw the wave... But he lived in the sea. And the wave is effortless when it's in relation to the sea. So even though we mourn the loss, 
of that delightful wave that just rolled through our lives every so often. For him, it was always the sea. And to let that little wave go really is nothing. And if we can live in that with him, then there's no absence. And then, of course, the other line. And many of you have heard Yogananda's voice say this line. A tiny bubble of laughter. I have become the sea of mirth itself. And on that recording of Master, Master says, say it with me again and again. A tiny bubble of laughter. I have become the sea of mirth itself. Really, is there a more exquisite way to think about the passing of one who gave us so much is to rejoice with him genuinely and become with him the sea of mirth itself. Now we'd like to invite Swamiji's brother, Dick Walters, who uh, is the last member of Swami's nuclear family, and uh, he'll share a few words, and we're very grateful that he and his family are here. Thank you very much. I will try to be brief. I want to share some things that might help you understand just a little bit more about where he came from and how we represent. I'm actually going to ask my son Dave to close with a couple of words too, but how we participated in that. Let me begin with his parents, my parents. My father was a petroleum geologist who graduated from the University of Kansas and went to work first in Mexico, and then he moved to Paris. He lived in an apartment house as as a petroleum geologist working for ESSO. We call it Exxon in this country, which is unfortunate, but that's it. it. (laughs) And um, in that same apartment was a woman who was born in Oklahoma and had come to Paris to study violin. Her name was Gertrude Gravette. It soon became Gertrude Walters. They came back to Oklahoma to get married, and while they were gone, he was informed that he was transferred to move to Romania. They lived in Romania for 15 years, and my two brothers and I were all born there. But I want to emphasize that my father's biggest virtue that he passed on to all of us, I think, certainly to my family, was caring for others. He wanted to be fair and When Don, I'm going to call him Don because that's how I know him, when Don decided to go into the life that he led, and then because of a variety of things, he moved up here and formed Ananda, Dad is one of the key people who helped to make that possible, financially possible. (laughs) 
And not too many people remember that. They have a tendency to remember in the family that, well, mother was the musician in the family, and that's where Don got all of it. Not true. They both contributed in important ways, and we consider fairness uh, certainly a major part of my life, and I think that uh, it's something that you might be interested in. I want to say that I had two brothers, they're both dead now, and you could hardly find in one family three people who were more different. <laughs> I won't go any, any, into any details, <laughs> but suffice to say that yes indeed, we were different in a great many ways, but there was one thing that we shared, and that was music. Because of our mother, because of our upbringing, we all loved music and we used music as a part of our lives. I still use music as a part of our lives. I should be here at home down in Davis singing in the church choir. But uh, we are here and music is an incredibly important thing. We didn't share that with each other all that much. But I want to tell you one story, which Don may, may never have passed on, about the three of us. We all became singers and were reasonably good. The middle brother, Bucky, uh, we used to be called Donnie Bobby Dickey. Um, <laughs> Bobby became Bucky. Don became Swamiji. I became Dick. <laughs> <laughs> But Don's life growing up was not a part of a family. He became sick quite young when we were living in Romania, and he started going away to school, in grade school. He went to Switzerland, learned his fourth language. At that point, he spoke English, German, and, and Romanian. He learned French, and since then, you know, I've I'm pretty good at languages, but uh, unbelievable what he has done. As mentioned, he's published in, he's lectured in six languages. I've only lectured in two. He's uh, published in, his books have been translated into many. He's lived in many languages, many countries with different languages. He's incredible in that. But one thing that we shared when we were in school together for his senior year in high school, having been going away to school almost all the time before that, he came back to Scarsdale, New York, where we were growing up, where my backdoor neighbor was Shipley. And um, he and Bucky and Dick, or Dickie, um, sang together something that I've never forgotten. We were in a uh, ceremony where we did uh, something for Christmas time, and we were the three kings of the Orient. And we sang them in turn in different ranges. I was singing tenor at that time. and. 
it was a lot of people still remember that. We only did it once, but they still remember that. And in fact, there are some people in Scarsdale who still refer to the three wise guys, the Walterses. <laughs> and music has continued to be an important part of his life and of Bucky's and of my own. I want to talk about the um, family interests in Ananda. Many of us have been here more than once. Uh, everybody here uh, in, in my family has come and we have listened and we have shared. I think that it is really important that um, although we were quite different, that Don's influence struck home with my family, with my cousins, and with others, so that there are a number of us here today, and that's because we remember with love what he contributed. I want to uh, say one other thing before I ask my son, Dave, to speak to us, and that is we, Don and I, corresponded. You heard about the um, use of email a great deal in his life. Well, it's a pretty important part of my life, too. And yes, I do it at home sometimes. I don't have anything that I carry with me the way my daughter and son do, but I, uh, uh, I still consider it important. And he and I exchanged words several times during the last two or three weeks of his life. There were two, th one thing that he particularly wanted to say. He had said this before to me, several years before. He said, you know, somebody prophesied that I would live to be 91. He said, I don't want to be lived to be 91. And that, both of us feel the same way. I reinforced uh, that in my last conversations with him. And he came right back and he said, yes, that's what I want. So where he is now, he has gone to a place where he can feel satisfied, I think, contented with what he has accomplished and happy that he is no longer being asked to live as Don, as Swamiji here. A wonderful man whom we all miss. I would like to just briefly introduce my cousin Marge, my wife Shipley, my daughter Leslie, my daughter-in-law Lori, my son Dave, uh, his daughter Ellen and her fiancé Mark. And I'd like to ask Dave just to say a couple of words. Thank you. You know, being here uh, and looking out on you all, um, it's amazing and it's, uh, it's very moving. And I thank you all for the very wonderful things that I've heard up here. Known this for years, the love that um, you have for my uncle. 
and uh, it gave, gives me and my family a great deal of peace and joy uh, to know that you're all continuing his work, which is, of course, the work of his God and guru. And um, it does bring us a whole lot of peace. Um, it's a little hard to say a few words about a, a man who's had such a life as my Uncle Don, James Donald Walters. I call him Uncle Don. <laughs> Swamiji Kriyananda. Um, a man who has sat at the foot of a true enlightened avatar who was thus empowered to, with your help, create this amazing organization. What a beautiful and inspiring and expanding light Ananda is doing God's work throughout the world. I mean, it's just, it's, it's very hard to describe. Words are inadequate, I think, is what Yogananda said. And uh, imagine what it must have been like to sit at the foot of an avatar himself. And uh, I think just with us, even, even us family members, we're a little sometimes daunted or at least filled with awe when you're in the presence of this man who's sat with heads of state and with world-famous artists and spiritual leaders and has written thousands of you know, works and CDs and movies and been on TV in front of millions. He's reached millions and millions of souls and brought us all closer to God. So um, what a powerful thrust, you know, to keep us all going. But um, that was one of the nice things about being the nephew of a Swami is you kind of get the, the family side on the inside. Uh, <laughs> I can remember, gosh, one of my earliest memories was way back in the 60s, all of us Walters, there were 13 of us, with uh, Ray and uh, Gertrude, who was Gigi, of course, uh, footing the bill for this wonderful trip off to uh, Hawaii. And uh, there was this huge tropical storm, and the power blew out, and it was at night, and there was raging wind and rain, and we were all us little cousins, my sister Leslie and I and my four cousins, uh, we're sitting in the room, and here was Uncle Don telling us these fantastic stories of these miracles and saints and, like, these weird stuff going on, you know, and on his travels in India. And, you know, years later, I remember he was in our room, our house, and he recreated that windstorm in his mouth. He could make the sound of this huge typhoon coming out. So we didn't know too much about Yogananda or anything else, but we were pretty impressed. <laughs> There were other uh, minor miracles in serendipity. You know, Lori and I were on our vacation in Hawaii. We planned to hike down the coast, but it got a little windy and rainy, and so we just turned back, and we were headed back to a hotel. And we decided to stop at the market to get, get some nuts or something. And there on aisle seven was, you know, Swami Kriyananda and Rosanna, <laughs> whom we hadn't planned to meet there, but they just happened to be there on a, on a trip. And... Uh, so the next day, we had this beautiful, wonderful, elegant lunch, uh, and uh, I don't think I've ever seen uh, my Uncle Don so happy and relaxed, you know, in the Hawaii vibe. There was uh, another, another sort of serendipitous, unplanned meeting, also in Hawaii. I don't know why this pattern always steers back to Hawaii, but um, we were in our hotel room, and the phone rang, and uh, it was Dr. Peter who says, well... Uh, the Swamiji would like to meet you and Lori for lunch. I said, for, for brunch this was. And I said, what, again? You know. <laughs> so, <laughs> and it seems that um, 
Kriyananda had been doing a yoga pose and his uh, artificial hip had popped out and he was uh, taken to the hospital to get it put back in and they gave him a lot of morphine and that caused some nausea and some vomiting and then some internal bleeding and this led to a transfusion and he had a really rather close call there. But um, all that was behind him and he was evidently hungry again so we wanted to go meet him for brunch. So we did. (laughs) And when we got there, I remember... This wasn't a guy who'd just been in the hospital with a brush of death, you know. He was quite energetic, and his tone was more like, oh, sorry for the big inconvenience, didn't mean to worry you all. I'm feeling quite fine now, and would you pass the blintzes, you know. (laughs) He did have a wonderful sense of humor. He had a beautiful voice. And I thought maybe we could maybe play a little walkie-talkie with Uncle Don if you'd like and uh, maybe sing a song. I bet you probably know it, but if you don't, I'll, I'll teach it to you. It was on his first hit record, I think, Say Yes to Life. Uh, it's a little ditty, as uh, Tremerty would say, um, about uh, my cousin Kathy, who uh, went dancing, and I'll just teach you line by line. So the first line is, Little Kathy went dancing, went dancing, went dancing. So you know that. Kathy went dancing, went dancing, went dancing. The second uh, part is, Little Kathy went dancing, her heart was so gay. Little Kathy went dancing, her heart was so gay. I think I can hear my uncle. (laughs) Uh, Second verse is, the words are, She danced out in the garden, the garden, the garden. She danced out in the garden, her heart was so gay. And the chorus is, la 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 lili, oh la 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 lay. La 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 lay. Little Kathy went dancing, her heart was so gay. Okay, so we're ready to sing the whole thing? <laughs> All right. Little Kathy went dancing, went dancing, went dancing. Little Kathy went dancing, her heart was so gay. She danced out in the garden, the garden, the garden. She danced out in the garden, her heart was so gay. La 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 lili, oh la 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 lay. Little Kathy went dancing, her heart was so gay. Thank you. It's a very joyous, joyous occasion. One that Uncle Don looked forward to very much. (laughs) Being reunited with his beloved. And so let us share in that joy today. Uh, God has blessed us with Priyananda. God bless you, Uncle Don. Thank you, Dick and Dave. That was wonderful. Now I'd like to ask Nayaswami Diana, who's co-director of Ananda India, to come up. And she's going to read a letter from one of our dear friends in India, Sri Kartikayan. Sri Kartikayan was one of Swamiji's dearest friends in India. 
And Swamiji, as you know, went touring all around India to all the major cities. And especially in the last couple of years, he had Sri Kartikeyan always introduce him. And in spite of his very busy schedule, Kartikeyan was always there. Many of you probably remember him. He was here at Ananda a few years back. And when he met Swamiji, they became fast friends. And um, he had a deep love and respect for Swamiji. And he also loved Ananda. So he sent this message, this tribute to Swamiji that I'll read to you now. Homage to a great master. The world will greatly miss the physical presence of Swami Kriyananda, J. Donald Walters, who was one of the foremost spiritual teachers of yoga principles in the world. He was a unique personality of many talents and specialized skills, a composer, lyricist, poet, playwright, an artist, vocal soloist, a linguist with mastery over nine languages. I consider my meeting Swami Kriyananda and earning his friendship, grace, and love as my unique privilege. He showered on me and my dear wife Kala unconditional affection and blessings. We enjoyed his gracious hospitality. He blessed us by coming home for simple vegetarian traditional meals. His unfailing courtesy all the time and ever smiling face, along with elevating and inspiring conversation, conquered us. We felt very close, as if we had known each other for decades. I entirely agree with many of the tributes being paid to his memory. He is a master who believed and convinced everyone that religions should unite and not divide, that we should do unto others as we would have them do unto us, and that religious leaders should treat one another as colleagues and not as rival vendors in an outdoor market. When a great master such as Padmahansa Yogananda incarnates, he brings disciples from past lives to help him cultivate the seeds he sows. Such a disciple was Swami Kriyananda, who dedicated his life to the service of his guru. In over 65 years of service, Swamiji fulfilled his guru's commandment of speaking, writing, and helping others to experience the joy and living presence of God within through Kriya Yoga. His guru, Paramahansa Yogananda, came to the West on a divine mission directed and initiated by Mahavatar Babaji to introduce the teachings of self-realization to a world audience. Swamiji, as his dedicated disciple, 
devoted his life to revealing the soul-liberating technique of Kriya Yoga to all truth-seeking souls. Swami Kriyananda thus continued to carry forward his guru's work, first through his service with SRFYSS, and later through his founding of Ananda Sangha. His message was universal, demonstrating how Yogananda's teachings can be applied to every aspect of life, education, business, marriage, family life, meditation, and social improvement. An initiative dear to Swami Kriyananda's heart was the founding of World Brotherhood Colonies in America, Europe, and India. Such small communities of like-minded souls foster the spiritual principles of plain living and high thinking while practically expressing them in daily life. He lived a long, glorious, and absolutely victorious life and changed the lives of millions. We hoped and prayed that he would live to be a hundred, but we have to accept and respect the verdict of destiny. The void and vacuum he has left can never be filled again. We console ourselves in the knowledge that he is with Master now. We will all feel so much more alone without his physical presence, but we all still feel his spiritual presence even more strongly. During the last and recent visit of Swami to India, he requested my presence in all the cities to introduce him at his discourses. He was very happy when I fulfilled his desire by being present everywhere. I will carry on with those beautiful memories of the Master, lecturing and singing gracefully with deep love and the smile that was so unique to him. What a joy and privilege to have lived in his time on the planet, earning his love and grace. D.R. Kartikeyan, Padma Shri Awardee, former chief of SIT, CBI, Rajiv Gandhi assassination case, former director, Central Bureau of Investigation, former director general, National Human Rights Commission, former special director general, Central Reserve Police. Thank you, Diana. Well, we'll conclude in a way now with looking to the future of Swami's legacy. A few years ago, 
Dr. Tish and I were having a little satsang, a little gathering with some of the high school students here. And there was a very bright young girl who was going to the Ananda High School as a boarding student. She wasn't a devotee. She wasn't. She didn't grow up in Ananda. Her parents weren't devotees. I think she was being raised by her grandmother. They lived in Nevada City. And we were just chatting with them. And we said, what are your impressions of Ananda? Because it was her first experience here. And she said... My teacher took me to Sunday service, and I heard the Festival of Light. And as soon as I started hearing it, I started sobbing, because those were the words that were always in my heart, but I didn't know they could be expressed. And that's what Swamiji did for all of us. He took the words, the yearning of our souls, that we didn't know could be expressed. And he gave it words, he gave it melody, he gave it community, so that we knew that what we always believed was true, was true. And he gave us a way, as Jyotish said, to find God and to share him with all. And... I want to now take a moment to read from Swamiji's last will and legacy because it expresses his intention for the future of Ananda, of what he gave his life to build. First he says, I better put my glasses on here, because he wanted Ananda to carry on. He said to us not too long ago, you should always live your life in such a way that if you died tomorrow, everything would carry on perfectly. And so he lived his life. And in that, he, for many years, has designated Nayaswami Jyotish to be his spiritual successor. And I would like to read to you a bit of what Swami says from his will. First he says, My nine-stone astrological bangle, which I have been wearing in my capacity of spiritual director or dharmacharya of Ananda, should be held in perpetuity and worn by my spiritual successor and his successors. My spiritual successor shall be Johnny Novak, generally known by his spiritual name. Jyotish. And in a little bit, we're going to actually have this moment together where Jyotish accepts, takes the vows as Ananda's new spiritual director and, and assumes and puts on the bangle. But I want to read a little bit of, of Swami's legacy now. My legacy to Ananda is spiritual in nature, primarily and consists of the teachings, ideals, and vibrations that I have received from my guru. My wish is that Ananda always remain true to these principles and remain faithful to the following twin ideals based on the example and teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda. One, that Ananda strictly honor the dictum 
people are more important than things, for people, especially in their spiritual needs, will always be more important than any organizational exigency. Two, that Ananda remain true to our motto, Jato Dharma Tato Jaya, where there is adherence to right attitude in action, there is victory. Indeed, Ananda should define victory itself in terms of this principle and never seek victory, even for the sake of its own survival, at the cost of this principle. If Ananda's institutional survival demands that this ideal be compromised, survival itself would no longer be worthwhile. For again, Ananda is a spiritual institution primarily. It is, moreover, a spiritual ideal, for the meaning of Ananda is divine bliss. Kindness and compassion must always and resolutely be given primary consideration. These are more important than even the best thought-out rules and, quote, precedents. My statement in this paragraph must, however, be construed in the light of divine truth, which, although always loving, is at the same time impersonal. Thus, even as physicians may demonstrate greater actual compassion, they inflict a temporary pain on their patients than when they spare them the pain, but ensure a much greater suffering later on. The rule of divine compassion is sometimes stern, necessarily so, and may not be immediately appreciated by its recipients. Hence the following further request in my legacy. Three, that my successor's first consideration be not public opinion nor an individual's needs as construed by that person, but a sincere effort at attunement with the will of God and his love. Four, that God's and Guru's will not the mere pleasure of human beings, nor any considerations of worldly popularity, be Ananda's first consideration in all its decisions and actions. It is my hope, finally, that Ananda will remain always faithful to the following priorities. A. Our primary goal is to find God and to unite our souls with him in divine love. And B. Our secondary goal is to serve God above all, free from the influences of passing fads and opinions. So now we're going to invite our colony leaders to come up behind us, and Jyotish will come, and he will, I will lead him in these vows for Ananda's spiritual successor. Need both mics, yes. Is your mic on? Yeah, okay. We'll ask all of you present. This is a deeply significant moment, and to surround it with the sanctity and the blessings of God and Guru and Swamiji. So let's pray together. 
Heavenly Father, Heavenly Father, Divine Mother, Divine Mother, Friend, Beloved God, Friend, Beloved God, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, Babaji Krishna, Babaji Krishna, Lahiri Mahashaya, Lahiri Mahashaya, Swami Sri Yukteswarji, Swami Sri Yukteswarji, Beloved Guru, Beloved Guru, Paramahansa Yogananda. Paramahansa Yogananda. We humbly bow to you all. We humbly bow to you all. Now these vows Jyotish will take, so we remain silent. As spiritual director or dharmacharya of Ananda, as spiritual director or dharmacharya of Ananda, I vow the following. I vow the following. I shall strictly adhere. I shall strictly adhere to the principle to the principle that people are more important than things that people are more important than things i shall guide the work of ananda i shall guide the work of ananda in such a way in such a way that it always remains true to our motto that it always remains true to our motto yato dharma tato jaya yato dharma tato jaya where there is adherence to right attitude and action where there is adherence to right attitude and action there is victory there is victory i shall make kindness and compassion i shall make kindness and compassion and resolutely the primary consideration and resolutely the primary consideration i shall make the first consideration i shall make the first consideration not public opinion not public opinion nor an individual's needs nor an individual's needs as construed by that person as construed by that person but a sincere effort but a sincere effort at attunement with the will of god at attunement with the will of god and with his love and with his love i shall guide ananda's work I shall guide Ananda's work in such a way in such a way that God and Guru's will that God and Guru's will not the mere pleasure of human beings not the mere pleasure of human beings nor any any considerations of worldly popularity nor any considerations of worldly popularity be Ananda's first consideration be Ananda's first consideration in all its decisions and actions in all its decisions and actions i shall endeavor to ensure i shall endeavor to ensure that ananda will always remain faithful that ananda will always remain faithful to the following priorities to the following priority a our primary goal is to find god a our primary goal is to find god and to unite our souls with him and to unite our souls with him in divine love in divine love our secondary goal our secondary goal is to serve god above all is to serve god above all free from the influence free from the influence of passing fads and opinions of passing fads and opinions bless me and strengthen me lord bless me and strengthen me lord in this my holy vow in this my holy vow for as ananda's spiritual director for as ananda's spiritual director my only goal my only goal is to guide ananda's work is to guide ananda's work in such a way in such a way that it live always that it live always in attunement with thy will in attunement with thy will jatish will take the 
Navaratna, the nine gem bangle, and put it on. This is what Swamiji wore for many years, and it is passes to the spiritual successor. And let's all chant Om and bless this moment. come more. Please be seated. And now we'll just enjoy what we've enjoyed so many years. We'll listen to a brief excerpt of Swamiji's voice and then listen to him singing a few of his songs. And that will conclude the memorial ceremony. Somehow, with the right attitude, everything's come out all right. And as I look at all these communities and all these hundreds and hundreds of people and thousands of people following, I think, well, uh, at any rate, I can feel good about it. And I do. I am so grateful that so many of you have come. I believe that when we die and we have to leave all those whom we loved behind, and we'll never be in this body again, and we'll never be able to enjoy this life again as we've known it, and do all the things and be in all the places we've been before. Yet I believe there is a, a string that ties us to everybody we have loved. Everybody we've hated too, but I don't hate anybody, but I have loved people. I love everybody. I love God in them. And those who respond to that love, I believe there is a tie between us. And I believe that you have been brought here, many of you, because you've been with me before. And I think that perhaps in the other world we created a community together and are trying to recreate in this world what we knew then. Master said that when people create beautiful things in this world, whether it be in painting or music or anything, it's because of their astral memories, their desire to create a perfection They've already known, but lost because they weren't yet perfect themselves. And so they had to go through this. But that world is a little bit of a taste of what we can know eventually and be one with for eternity. But we are together because we've done this together. And this is why I've had the good fortune and the good karma to be able to draw so many people. Because we've done it before. It's a fascinating thought. If I have to come back, it will only be with this purpose of helping. I can't, there's nothing that draws me here otherwise. People think, well, don't you feel happy that you've done this and done that and done the other thing? I'm glad that I did it for God. I'm glad that people have been helped by it. But other than that, I don't think of anything as mine. I've mentioned to some of you the experience I had many years ago. I was 
walking up into Upper Ayodhya and I saw the lights all in these trailers. We didn't have buildings at that time yet except I had a little dome down below. And the thought came to my mind, I did this. Then I thought, well, do I like that thought? I decided, well, not very much. It's pleasant, but it's very limiting. I did this, that means I didn't do anything else. I did this? Bunch of stupid trailers? No. <laughs> I just, I'm, I'm kidding. That's not what I was thinking. But, <laughs> but I did feel, <clears throat> I don't like the thought, I did it. For my own happiness, I'm much happier thinking God did it. And that's the last time that thought has ever come to me. And who is me? If there's a little chink through which the divine light can pour, then wonderful, I'm grateful for it. But nothing else matters. Let us all try to serve him in such a way that we can be his instruments, instruments of his love and his light and joy. Because that's all we are anyway. What makes us different from the beetles and the ants? That we're more conscious. And the fact that we're more conscious means we can be even more conscious. And we see some people have a lot of consciousness and some have very little. So it shows that this little brain isn't the whole thing. The brain can become an instrument for a greater and greater and greater consciousness. How high can that consciousness be? I say, seek the heights. Go for broke, you might say. <laughs> Go till the back of that ego is broken and you understand that he is everything. It's he who dreamed. It's an inconceivable dream we're living in. And the difference between this dream and other, other kinds of dreams is simply that when you dream at night, you wake up, you come back to the same world. But when he dreams, it's, when, you, when, you dream, when you go back to your dream, it's a different dream. This world is his dream, and it's always the same dream. Until you die, and then the dream changes. But it's always, it's all his dream, really. He dreamed it all. It's his thought. You were his thought. He dreamed you into existence. And if you can just get rid of that thought of being anything separate from him, you will find that the more you have of that thought, the more joyful life becomes, the more fulfilling, and the more complete. We were born for that one purpose. We were born to know him. As St. Augustine said, Father, thou hast made us for thyself. And our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. So if my life has any meaning, then don't look at all the things I've done. But think of the reason behind those things and think of what has come through those things. If people's lives have been blessed by them, then I am blessed. Otherwise, I could be an emperor, and what would it mean? You know, Hitler was a pretty big thing back in the 1940s. By the 1980s, children in school didn't even know who he was, many of them. You could make the biggest splash in the world, and you'd be forgotten just almost overnight. When I came here a month ago or a few weeks ago, there was a beautiful pink azalea in my garden. It was just a joy to see. Then I had to go north to Seattle and Portland, visit our centers there. When I came back, the azalea was all finished. The whole bush was just nothing but uh, shriveled petals. That's life. And you blossom for a while, and then you're gone. And when you're 80, 
Perhaps you think about it more than when you're 30 or 20. But it wouldn't hurt you to think about it now. When you take your bath in the, mor- in the evening or morning, whenever you do it, and you wash your, hat, your arm, think that someday it will be nothing but ashes or dust. This body that you have it won't be with you very long. Don't cling to it, because if you do, then you've lost everything when you lose that. But if you live in Him, then you shed this body the way a, a snake sheds its skin. It doesn't mean anything at all. And you will wander until you finally decided, I'm tired of wandering. It's all very well when life gives you everything you want, but suddenly it doesn't, and that's the trouble with life. And that's what God has set this whole play up to help us to understand that You don't want to suffer, and you will suffer as long as you live in an ego. Life itself is like waves on an ocean. Where there's a rising wave, there has to be a trough. Because the higher the wave, a high wave doesn't change the level of the ocean. A high wave has to be compensated for by a trough, and an equally deep trough. Every experience of joy in this world, of emotional joy has to be and is balanced by an equal and opposite pain. Every fulfillment has to be balanced by disappointment. And when you've gone up and down that roller coaster enough times, then you begin to think, is it worth it? I say it's not. I say the only thing that's worth it is to know who you really are. Merge in him. And people ask, people often have said to me, you seem so young. Well, I think the reason I'm young is that I don't have self-definitions. I don't have the burden of thinking, well, I've done all this and I've done this. I've become sort of beaten down to the dust with all the things I've done. I haven't done anything. He did it all. Live in the present and you will have God. When you can be happy in the present, then you have God. Joy to all of you. without song Oh my heart's a fire burning all desire Only you remain and life again Too long I did stray flung lifetimes away Imagine you did not care I know now your smile was mine all the while 
I listen and love was there. I can't breathe for love. All the stars above call to me, come home. Life's waves all end in foam. Only love can heal. All the pain I feel. What a fool was I to turn Caught up in ecstasy, twas a day sanctified by God. There He showed me the truths of heaven, truths which all. Seeking him should know how the soul made to live in freedom can reclaim its eternal right. How the night born of our delusion. 
can be fired blazing with his light Pace dona ni monti, pace ci dona il cielo, di notte le stelle ridendo, dona la pace al Ci dona l'aurora, pace ci dona il sole, gli uccelli dicon cantando, quest'oggi offri al Signore. Ci donan le nubi, pace ci dona il dolore, lasciando calma la mente, pioggia che cresce in fiore. Ci dona la fede, 
पाचची दोन आलामो close with a prayer. Heavenly Father, Divine Mother, Friend, Beloved God, Jesus Christ, Babaji Krishna, Lahiri Mahashaya, Swami Sri Yukteswar, Beloved Guru, Paramahansa Yogananda, Saints of all religions, dear beloved Swamiji, we bow to you all. O Lord, may this life be spent seeking Thee and sharing Thee with all. Om. Peace.